I'm James Brierton. A special edition of the Carolina Weather Group starts right now. These are pictures out of Western North Carolina in the first daybreak after devastating flash flooding from Tropical Depression Fred. Good evening. I'm James Briarton in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we are live with you on this Wednesday, August the 18th, 2021. Our panel is assembled here again tonight. We have Jared Smith in Charleston, South Carolina, and Evan Fisher in Asheville, North Carolina. So many of our friends and neighbors in Western North Carolina still dealing with the aftermath of Tropical Depression, Fred, with ongoing flooding that the word aftermath just doesn't do it justice. This is a situation that is still very much active and ongoing for these folks. And states of emergency remain in effect tonight because of the devastation that is being felt in in some of these places, including reports tonight that we're learning out of Haywood County in North Carolina, where some 35 people remain unaccounted for. If you were with us last night during our live coverage, you'll remember that the National Weather Service and Emergency Management had issued a flash flood emergency, the highest and most severe of the flash flood bulletin tier, as the Pigeon River overflowed its banks, cresting at nearly 20 feet. And some incredible imagery that we'll show you in just a moment of what the town of Canton looks tonight. Let's start on that note and bring in Evan Fisher, who is in Asheville, the closest to the epicenter where this devastation, this flooding was seen in countless places across the mountains, Evan. Yeah, absolutely, James. This this damage was widespread. Just about every community in the mountains and into the foothills saw swollen creeks and in many instances flooded roads, uh, washed out bridges and damage to homes and businesses. Uh, It was a very scary day across the region yesterday afternoon. As we got towards the mid to late afternoon hours, we saw the rain rates really pick up and go through the roof uh, and and rivers swole and and became unmanageable and all these roads became suddenly impassable. Like you said, James, Haywood County, Canton, Clyde area. They were the hardest hit. That was truly the epicenter of this event where nearly 10 inches of rain fell up on the mountain. And here you're looking at a photo from Canton, North Carolina. This is drone footage showing earlier, uh, actually, I believe yesterday evening in Canton. Of I think the, you were taking today in the aftermath. These are some of the first daylight photos, I believe. We wow. Saw. Wow. That's incredible. The water was still that high. Um, yeah, I mean, you can see the water into into buildings and businesses there in downtown Canton. Wow. That is an incredible shot right there. I hadn't even seen this one myself. Um, so exactly. Like, like you mentioned, James, the water all came rushing down off of the mountains to the west of Asheville into Canton and Clyde. That's what prompted the flash flood emergency and the evacuations in low-lying areas. Uh, unfortunately, like you mentioned, we have 35 people still unaccounted for. Um, we certainly hope that number plummets down to zero and everyone uh, checks in and is found safe. Um, but it's a concerning look 24 hours uh, after the event wrapped up. Yeah, the best case scenario is those 35 people sought higher grounds and just have yet to check in with family, friends, or officials. But that number is now up at this 9 o'clock hour from 30 earlier in the day. And so if uh, you happen to leave town and have not yet checked in, they are looking 
uh, to account for all of the residents here of the town of Canton. And we do thank the uh, photographers at A Shot Above for allowing us to show you these pictures tonight because pictures are unfortunately worth a thousand words and telling you that a river overflows banks is one thing, but to show you what that means for a town like Canton and other communities in Hayward County along the Pigeon River uh, is is absolutely breathtaking. And I think we saw that firsthand, Evan, with, with your viewing of some of these pictures for the first time. We did, absolutely. There were multiple swift water rescues throughout Haywood and Buncombe County and down towards Transylvania as well. Uh, we are quite thankful to not have heard of any official fatalities yet. Uh, and we do hope that that uh, continues and that those 35 people show up safely. Uh, we have been monitoring information from uh, Haywood County, who are, as Evan mentioned, continuing to do uh, the search and the rescue and the securing of their town tonight. And as soon as we get information from them on some verified ways that you at home can help these neighbors and others across Western North Carolina through donations and charities, we'll pass that along. Um, Evan, you're in Asheville and uh, you traveled out yesterday. We looked at some of these pictures yesterday, but I was hoping for folks who maybe weren't with us last night, you can let people know what, what else you saw uh, yesterday as uh, some of the rivers, creeks, and streams, the countless of them across Western North Carolina were overflowing their banks. What are we looking at here? Yeah, so I went out and drove around my hometown of Fairview, North Carolina, which is about eight to, eight to 10 miles southeast of Asheville, down a little bit closer towards Chimney Rock, if you're familiar with the area. And I went out about mid-afternoon when the rainfall rates really went through the roof and drove down towards Bat Cave and Chimney Rock, which is in the Hickory Nut Gorge, a very flood-prone area where water just funnels down through large crevices in the rocks. And it, it's more of a canyon than anything else. Uh, went down and scoped out the Broad River, and there was uh, widespread flooding on it. The main highway was actually closed halfway down the gorge, and I could not go any further. Water was lapping up into some homes right there along that, the main highway, Highway 74. Then I did circle back towards Fairview, uh, my hometown, and by the time I got back, it was a totally different scene than when I left an hour and a half prior. Uh, when I left my home, I drove down roads that when I returned were fully submerged in two to three feet of water. Uh, the water had come roaring down off of the, the mountains and the higher elevations. And uh, truly Cane Creek, one of our local uh, main waterway had swollen up to a degree that I have not seen in my eight years of living here. There was water where I've never seen water before. Uh, two of the three access points to the valley in which I live were cut off by flooding. Uh, it, was, it was very scary for a while watching the the round after round of heavy rain come in and knowing that so many neighbors and members of the community were going to be dealing with the cleanup for days and weeks following. Some additional pictures to share with folks tonight on this special edition of the Carolina Weather Group. This video shot by Austin Taylor in the city of Boone in Watauga County, where you can see water spilling into the streets and parking lots. Uh, this photo showing what looks to be a single car in a parking lot now covered by water instead of pavement. Another vehicle with looks to be a pickup water up to its bed. And uh, you can see some of the, just the, the rapid movement of a lot of this water and, and that flash flooding in a nutshell, quick moving water 
spilling into places where it's not supposed to be. And now in the hours afterwards, the conversation turns to, well, where did all this water go? Let's bring in Jared Smith. He's looking at uh, river flood gauges at this hour. And uh, Jared, this water is going to be running off through the water basin for the next couple of days. It sure is. I think one bit of good news that we can take away from this is that we do not have any more uh, gauges in major flood stage. Um, that is some good news. Um, another bit of good news is that this is not going to go east. This is a lot of this rain uh, fell away from the escarpment and it is going to drain out west a little bit, maybe a little bit you know, more capacity for that. We still have some, we still have some rivers in flood. Uh, that's going to be... A, certainly an issue here. The French Broad River uh, Blantyre, I hope I got that right, um, is, uh, it looks like it's crest around 20.44 feet um, and is um, continuing to fall here, but uh, still in moderate uh, flood stage for the next little bit, should fall below flood stage uh, by Friday. So that's some good news there. Again, this is, you know, it's it, it's going to go and it's going to um, dissipate down, but the, the French Broad still is a you know, obviously very uh, problematic here. We still have a minor flood stage now at Fletcher. Um, we have a minor flood stage at Asheville, but this is almost um, the good news is, is that this is almost uh, uh, below flood stage at Asheville. So that's some really good news. And then when looking at, you know, some of the other gauges, um, the French, Bra the French broad near Marshall. So you can see it's kind of draining down. It's, it's, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on this uh, as time goes on, but um <clears throat> that is a little bit of good news there that we're, you know, that we are seeing some of these, uh, you know, more severe uh, instances uh, down. So here's the French Broad River near Hot Springs. It got in a minor flood stage last night, has leveled out here as well. Um, and let me go to and let me see here. It was much easier to find. Let me let me grab the Pigeon River real quick because that's what we're looking for. Um and um, let's see here. So here's the Pigeon River near Hepco. You can see that huge jump there. They don't, they don't have flood forecasts uh, there, but they do here at Canton. And again, this was the this was the major event uh, here. And you can see it crest just shy of 20 feet and is now back down to normal. I mean, it's a, a remarkable how quickly uh, it got back down to normal. But uh, but we saw from the images in the opener. Uh, just how, you know, just how devastating that uh, this uh, major flood event was. Absolutely, Jared. And, and I think you're right. I mean, some of these communities, we won't know for a couple of days what lies beneath some of those floodwaters and other communities downstream will have to watch for the swelling of local rivers uh, as the water basin works to run off all of this excess. At the height of things yesterday, or I should say at the culmination of things yesterday, this is a look at the day's final tally, every flash flood warning and advisory, every tornado warning issued, every local storm report. Hats off to the men and women at the National Weather Service who had a relentless day followed by storm surveying today. We'll talk about that more in a moment, but just you can see on your screen right now, every one of these little green beacons is some sort of flood-related event. Uh, that's a river, that's a creek, that's a stream, that's a road, that's a mudslide. Those are low-lying areas that are impassable because of the torrential rain that fell upwards of eight 
inches in some places. We'll get you some of those storm totals uh, here in, in just a moment. Matter of fact, uh, what I can show you on the screen is uh, from our own Evan Fisher. Evan, you were graphing and uh, calculating some of these rainfall totals today. What were some of the highest? Sure, James. Yeah, so the highest three-day rainfall total that I have seen through uh, the Coco Ross system actually was 17 point, let me get the, the numbers on this, 17.36 inches of rain from Lake Toxel. Fallen rain? Fallen 17 rain. 17 inches? Over the past 17. three days, you said. Three so days. That's, that's, that, could, that could be yesterday plus severe thunderstorm warning kind of related stuff from days earlier. Right. So that's going to be a combination of the stalled front that we had. Um, right. That area was under a flash flood warning the day prior to Fred for another flooding event. Um, and then they also tacked on likely another seven to uh, seven to nine inches of rain that day. I have seen widespread reports in the, the very flood prone areas and the higher elevations of seven to nine inches. So those certainly verified, those forecasts verified. Uh, and you could see on that map, sorry, James, that you just pulled it back down. The highest totals were located right along the, what we call the Blue Ridge Escarpment or the Eastern Continental Divide. And that is that area where the mountains first rise up out of the North and South Carolina, Piedmont and foothills, and they rise up and that water, the, the low level moisture rises up the mountains and gets strained out and all the rain really falls down onto those first mountains there. And that's why we saw so much flooding in through Canton and Clyde. We saw the water fall in the mountains just above those cities and flow down, down the Pigeon River. Uh, and to use the wording of the National Weather Service in Greenville, Spartanburg, create a significant and life threatening flood wave that washed through the town. Yeah. And, you know, now it's it now it's it's cleanup, but it's cleanup that's going to it's going to take a while. It's it's waiting for this water to go down. It's helping to restore services like water, power and utilities. It's cleaning off roadways. You're looking at some photos here that uh, the state put out the Department of Transportation amongst the first to respond um, to the impacted communities, trying to get infrastructure back online to help bring in more supplies to communities that might need it. Uh, you can just see some of these hardest hit areas in these photos that the, uh, the state put out earlier today. Uh, and as Evan mentioned, a lot of this by itself would have been impressive, but we had that stalled front across the Carolinas for days, which just brought scattered but strong to severe thunderstorms, as many of you will remember, and that took our soil and really saturated it. So then when Fred came in, we were already dealing with soil that was like a wet sponge, and that kind of culminated in the event that you're seeing on the screen here. The other thing that... Uh, this day will be remembered for, especially depending on where you live, would be the conv convective severe weather we saw as a result of this storm. And the National Weather Service going out today, putting their eyeballs on damage left from tornadoes, such as this one recorded by Brandon Pope in, off of Old Mountain Road in Iredale County, eventually crossing into Alexander County. He took this video and posted it to Twitter yesterday. And what you're seeing here, we now know is a EF1 tornado. You can see the path here uh, that the National Weather Service in Greenville, Spartanburg, Trisha Palmer herself took this trip on up here to take a look. And this was an EF1 tornado with peak gusts of 110 miles an hour. Luckily, no injuries 
to report very minor damage, but their storm survey does account for trees that were topped off at about 20 feet above the ground, uh, which was helping them to determine the impact of that tornado. That was just one of several tornadoes that the Weather Service confirmed today. The National Weather Service in Greenville, Spartanburg, by the way, issued, if I have this right, 37 tornado warnings yesterday. The most their office has done since the late 1980s. Wow. If I, re- if I recall the statistic correctly from Brad Panovich at WCNC, it, I think it was. Yeah. Go ahead, Jared. I, I mean, it's worth noting, too, that the methodology in the late 80s is far different from what we have now. Um, keeping in mind that we switched to storm-based warnings uh, in 2007, 2008. And so where you might have one warning covering a county, if you have two events, boom, you, you got two birds, one stone. Um, and also keeping in mind that if you have a, if you have a, uh, a warning that goes out uh, for multiple counties, that's actually, uh, I was actually talking to somebody about this today, believe it or not, that was counted as multiple warnings uh, back in the day. So you could issue one warning, but it would go out as three because it was county-based. And there was no such thing as the valid time event code, the VTEC. Not talking about revved up Honda Motors. I'm talking about valid time event code. And uh, what that does is it, it groups it groups each event as one warning. And that just was not a thing. That just that was invented. You know, that was invented. That was a mid 2000s invention and rollout. So um, so I, I, I'll be I want to use caution a little bit about that. But again, um, not to take away from the fact that they issued. <laughs> I mean, they, they issued 69 tornado warnings were, yeah. across all of the National Weather Services mm-hmm. in the Carolinas. Um Evan Fisher's got a map up here on the screen. Yep. So, so that that includes that does include Peachtree City. Mm-hmm. That does include Virginia, because the National Weather Service boundaries and the state boundaries are not yep. the same. Sixty-seven tornado warnings, flash flood warnings, twenty-seven with flood. Is, is that advisories then? Twenty-three uh, flood warnings. I left flood advisories out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's get back over to what the Weather Service uh, was finding today. Um, we did have down here. Uh, a little bit closer to uh, to Greenville, another EF1. Now, this was a low-end EF1 in Malden, South Carolina, with a tornado that touched down near Brooks Road at Highway 276. And you can see that this one was on the ground for about a little over two miles or so. And uh, minor damage to roofs and siding noted to several structures, damage was primarily limited to multiple uprooted large hardwoods and snap trees, not too dissimilar from the one seen in Alexander and Iredale counties. Another EF1 here to show you on the map near Fountain Island, uh, Fountain Inn, excuse me, South Carolina, where the storm survey team found that a tornado touched down east of Pennington Road, this tornado tracking north-northeast, Crossing uh, intersections such as Highway 418 damage, again, primarily limited to some hardwoods and snap trees, which would be expected with an, with an EF1. One of the trees, though, did fall and damage a home on Ritchie Road. The shed there was also damaged and destroyed as a result of a, a fallen tree. So um, a direct result of that tornado, which uh, EF Zero also striking about three miles southeast of Fountain Inn, 
South Carolina. And I could have sworn, yes, there is. I was going to say, I could have sworn there was another short-lived little guy here, Neap Zero, that was on the ground for about a tenth of a mile. And this one near Sandy Springs, South Carolina. And I almost missed this one as well here near Six Mile, South Carolina, also on the ground for about a tenth of a mile where multiple trees were uprooted. Some of these shorter paths are not surprising considering the tropical nature of the setup yesterday. And if you joined us for live coverage or your local television broadcasters, they were talking a lot about these cells that were training across areas. But the the, the nature of tornadoes associated with a tropical system like this, they spin up very quickly and they spin down very quickly. So it makes warning on them very tricky. Uh, you got to move very quickly. And then they don't live very long, which couldn't be good news, but it's it, it comes down to pulling that trigger, getting the effective communication, and then on your end at home, making sure you move to safety as quickly as possible um, because you're not going to have a lot of lead time that you might have with certain other tornado warnings we get here in the Carolinas. Certainly, you always want to try to move to uh, safety as, as quickly as possible. Again, uh, you can find information about how to help Western North Carolina forthcoming on our Facebook page. Uh, We're looking for the uh, county to tell us exactly where and when they need help. I know they did say earlier, thanks, but no thanks to volunteers for search for rescue, leaving that first and foremost to the professional first responders. And they said that they would be issuing some additional information about how the community can get involved and helped as soon as they get to that phase of their recovery. Uh, Jared, let's uh, shift gears here now as uh, folks, we are in mid to late August and the tropical season is well underway with tropical depression. Fred now gone. What's next? So yeah, that's an interesting question. So uh, it, and that's a question that is kind of shifting on us a little bit um, as, as we've gone through the day. Um, first, Hurricane Grace, second hurricane of the season is going to make a couple hops in Mexico dissipate there. Not a concern for the Carolinas, certainly concern for Mexico with heavy rain and potentially some strong winds. Uh, Right now does not expect to become a major hurricane, thank goodness, Um, but still a very rough go for the Yucatan Peninsula and then uh, getting into mainland Mexico here. So, so there's, there's your path for grace again. Well, (laughs) very far South from the Carolinas, not a, a weather concern for us where it gets interesting is with uh, Tropical Storm Henri. So last night, uh, you may remember that we've been talking about Henri a little bit and how it was uh, it was thinking about, you know, it was going to curve out to sea. Guidance picked up on an interesting trend today, and there's a lot of guidance members that are starting to come around to this idea, so much so that the Hurricane Center is starting to come around to this idea that uh, as Henri, is, it's going to get picked up by Cutoff Low, and it's going to head north parallel the coast again this is going to be more of a a a wave and rip current maker for us uh along the carolina coast um we'll need to see how far west it ends up um so you know we'll we'll continue to keep an eye on that i'll show you all another graphic in a second um uh, talk about tropical storm force wind probabilities there but if you notice the key difference in the track today versus yesterday is that 
uh, Henri is uh, is taking aim on New England. A ridge of high pressure is going to build uh, just to the uh, northeast of Henri, basically cutting off its escape route. And so if you have plans, you know, if you've got plans or business, I know that, you know, uh, Charlotte in particular, a lot of banking business, uh, you know, Charlotte to New York, that's a that's a pretty common commute. Um, uh, you may be dealing with Tropical Storm Henri um, by this time, uh, by next Monday. Uh, we'll see, you know, we'll see how this turns out. Again, there's a long way to go. There's uh, certainly um, uncertainty around this. We have some guidance that's really strictly on board with it. We have some guidance that has not yet gotten on board with it. Um, it's going to be an interesting situation for the Hurricane Center forecasters, uh, to put it mildly. So, again, and there's that um, reasonable arrival of tropical storm force winds. I'm going to put the probabilities up as well. So let me grab the probabilities real quick, and 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 we'll look at this. So the tropical storm force wind speed probabilities here. Uh, taking a look at that, you've already got up to 50 percent along Cape Cod and uh, <laughs> out there on, on the coast of uh, Massachusetts here. So certainly increasing confidence in the short term um, uh, for, you know, potential tropical storm force impacts all the way there. But you will notice that there is a, a slight chance of tropical storm force winds possibly extending out to the outer banks uh, as we get into later this weekend. So that'll be something to watch. Again, it, it, a lot is going to depend on the track. Still a lot of uncertainty as far as how west it gets. Um, but that is if you're on the outer banks, this is something that you're going to want to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. As we're coming into what is traditionally the peak of hurricane season early to mid September. We're going to be keeping a close eye on those outlooks uh, from the national hurricane center to let us know what we should be expecting. So uh, outer banks, we can't rule out the chance of some gusty winds and some rip currents along the Carolina coast. You're going to want to keep an eye on that. I did just get this number uh, that I wanted to share with folks tonight. If you are in Haywood County and need assistance, the county has set up a hotline. This is for residents, business owners of Haywood County. They're not looking for you to call this number to uh, ask about other people, but if you are in need of assistance from the county following the flooding there in Haywood County, that number, 828 828- Three five six two zero two two. That's eight two eight three five six two zero two two. That's a Haywood County hotline for residents and business owners uh, who do need assistance in that area after the flooding that we saw play out. This has uh, been a, a very tiring uh, last couple days, not just for people who are communicating the weather, but the people who are out there with boots on the ground, the first responders, those coming in afterwards, the National Weather Service. And it really just goes to show that the impact from a storm cannot always be judged by its category. This was a tropical depression. And its impacts are going to be with these folks for a really long time. There are a lot of factors that go into forecasting weather. 
and purely categorizing them into neat little buckets. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. When you factor in things like saturated grounds, stalled fronts, and I think that's a lesson for all of us. Not a critique, but a lesson for all of us to remember. There's no such thing as just a tropical depression. Because all of the pictures and all of the stories and all the damage we told you about tonight are a culmination of factors that get triggered by a tropical depression. And and I, I hope that we remember that in the future. Uh, so as people are planning for whatever the future may hold here in this hurricane season or another, have that go bag. Have it ready. Put it together now and stick it on a closet. There's no harm in just having it. It's 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 better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And I think I'm going to be revisiting mine too because, guys, I'll tell you, I, I wouldn't be ready if this rolled in here tomorrow. I've got some stuff stocked away either from being a weather nerd or from pandemic toilet paper hoarding, but... I, I, I'm going to get really tired of eating canned black beans or whatever it is that's down there. And uh, I think that's my upcoming weekend to-do mm-hmm. list. Yeah. Best time to do it is now. And that's, you know, aside from Henri potentially kicking up some waves, we've got nothing else out there. And there's a bunch of Saharan dust coming off. We may actually catch a little bit of a break. And that is a welcome reprieve. Yeah. Um, that's a reprieve that we don't usually get in late, late August. So I will urge everybody take advantage of this. Check your hurricane kits, look at your evacuation routes, get vaccinated. No time like the present. Do not deal with COVID. Don't, don't worry about you. Don't try not to worry about COVID on top of trying to run away from a storm. Um, you made up a good point on that yesterday. Because the combination of, of vaccines and masks and everything else instantly fearfully goes into politics. But if, if you need to evacuate and go to a shelter, these are going to be factors and considerations mm-hmm. on how you plan, where you go, what you can do when you get there. And they were conversations that came up last year and will certainly have to be revisited again if and when we need them. Gentlemen, uh, that's going to do it for this special edition of the Carolina Weather Group. We thank you all at home for tuning in tonight, whether you're watching with us on Facebook or YouTube or maybe listening to the audio podcast. I don't want to leave you out, our podcast friends. I know you haven't been able to see these visuals that we've been showing you, but the audio podcast is an important mechanism for us because it's a place that during a state of emergency, we will turn to to continue to deliver information about the weather. Not live, of course, because a podcast inherently isn't live, but it's a place that we can put forecast updates, weather updates in a means that doesn't require a ton of cellular data. It doesn't require a ton of battery power, things that can be scarce during severe storms. So I would encourage you to find Carolina Weather Group wherever it is you get your audio podcasts so that uh, you'll have yet another means to getting information. And we hope it's a part of a matrix of ways 
that you get information. And so as you're preparing those go kits, as we always say, please know a weather radio. Very important tool not to be overlooked. On behalf of Jared Smith, Evan Fisher, I'm James Briarton in Charlotte, North Carolina. That does it for this special edition of the Carolina Weather Group. We will see you again real soon.